The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Lou Corbett. She is the mastermind behind North Shore Apothecary. Lou, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you have really cool, cool products and a wonderful Instagram, and it seems like you're always out in the woods finding different things and making products to make people happy and to heal whatever people have going on with them or just to make things smell nice, which is pretty amazing. Uh, So tell us, what kind of products do you make? I make all sorts of things. And yes, I do love to spend lots of time in the woods. I think that's where I feel most comfortable. I make... Lots of different products that the aim is to connect people to nature. And it's the nature that is found in specific areas as well. So the plants that we have around us here in Ontario, boreal forest, kind of the boreal transition area to connect to home. Awesome. Yeah. And so you are, I think, like north of Toronto. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Gravenhurst right now, but the cabin lab or cabin apothecary is in Orville, Ontario, which is about 20 minutes east of Perry Sound. Cool. So Lou, how did you become interested in plants? Were you always out in the woods as a little kid or did something happen that really kind of brought you outside? I grew up in the burbs, like many people. Um, I was lucky enough to have a family cottage and we would go up there as much as possible. And I think I just felt more at home there than anywhere else. And I've always just had a really good sense of smell. So uh, smells can also give me headaches or migraines. So I'm very wary of both like the real beautiful nature smells as well as trying to avoid synthetic scents that can cause migraines and headaches. Wow. Did you find out which specific smells would give you the migraines? Yeah, actually. Um, a lot of different plastic smells or like new car smell. I know a lot of people love that new car smell and I just can't, absolutely can't stand it. Um, it the, the triggers were so obvious as well. It would be like immediate. So I think a big part of wanting to find those natural smells and preserve them and be able to enjoy the smell of something like lilac even deep into winter uh, was propelled me to want to research how do you do that? How do you preserve those smells that are strong and beautiful and natural? Um, How can you smell those at different times of the year and all these strong scents that don't also cause headaches? Yeah. You mentioned lilac. Now, I remember you posting something in the spring about a French process. Uh, What was the name of that? I forget. Enfleurage. Yeah. So enfleurage is one of the One of the four main ways that we can extract scent naturally from nature using techniques. And so enfleurage is actually you lay the flower out onto fat and it can be also like a mango butter or a coconut butter doesn't have to be an animal fat. And then it's the fat that absorbs the scent of the flower as part of the extraction technique. 
Mm -hmm. So I tried that this spring because I love lilacs. It's one of my favorite uh, smells. And so my uncle actually, uh, he has a herd of cattle. And so I ended up taking the fat and trying to use it because, you know, I don't want it to go to waste. And it was really a difficult process because the fat does not smell good. I don't know if anyone's ever tried this, but it was uh, it was rough to get the smell out. And I did, but it took a very long time of leaving it outside. And then I did, I think, seven or eight rounds of the Enflorage with the lilac. So basically, you just take the flower and turn it upside down and like squish it onto the fat for like a day, right? Yeah, exactly. In the fat rendering process is its own whole process. Uh, so I understand that well, because when I first started, I went to a local butcher. Um, but now I use um, what's it called? Like um, extra virgin coconut butter. So it's a it's a vegetable fat instead, because of it, that exact problem that you're discussing. Yeah, so what it is, is it's actually the flower's sex organs that are pumping out scent. So in lilac, if you were to crush the lilac, it doesn't have scent. It's actually the flower that is pumping it out. And so you're trying to trap that in the fat. And so if you can get a really highly rendered fat, that's best so that it doesn't have the smell. But you might even notice like if you left a, an onion next to butter in your fridge, it can absorb that scent. So it's using yeah. that science to make perfume. And so you can imagine it ends up being a pretty expensive perfume. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I saw the picture. I don't know if you posted it or if I Googled it, but it was these French women from, I don't know if it was 100 years ago, but it was like black and white. And they had these boards ahead of them and they were like putting the flowers on them. I thought it was so cool. And yeah, it's time consuming, right? So of course it would be an expensive process. And now we have all these synthetic ways of doing it. But I'm pretty sure that a lot of that stuff is oil and gas. So do you want to be breathing in oil and gas or do you want to be breathing in flowers, right? And then that goes even further to you were getting headaches from some of these things, which which isn't good, right? So aromatherapy is really cool. Like I think there definitely is a lot to it that can help you or hinder you and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, pretty neat uh, process. But of course, there are easier ways of getting smells out of flowers. So um, Enflorage is probably one of the more difficult ones. Can you tell us about a few other techniques you use to get the sense out of things? Definitely. I'd love to. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so I did try the Enflorage experiments. I just found that it used a lot of plant material and didn't get enough scent. So I tried some other methods, mainly steam distillation. So steam distillation is one of the more common ones for when the volatile essential oil compounds are found within the plant itself. So let's say mint. When you crush mint, you smell it instantly, or lavender. When you crush lavender in between your fingers or just rub your hand along it, you are smelling those volatile essential oils that are in there in very small amounts. So steam distillation, what it does is it uses the, the power and the force of steam to bust open the cells within the plant, remove that volatile essential oil, and with the kinetic energy of the heat, it pushes it up and it comes out as either essential oil or hydrosol. So I work a lot with the hydrosol because it is a byproduct of essential oil manufacturing. So especially when we're talking about waste and sustainability, a lot of essential oils actually 
aren't that sustainable or environmentally friendly because it takes so much plant product to just create that one tiny drop that you're putting in your diffuser. So the hydrosol, which it has all the same aromatherapeutic benefits as the essential oil, I like to work with because it is much more sustainable and much more abundant. So I create cedar hydrosol, balsam fir, white pine. I also work with a few invasive species like pin cherry and sweet clover. And that's because you are removing something from nature that is a problem and adding a different value or use to it that, you know, can make people happy or can be used in skincare. So mainly I do steam distillation and I use a traditional copper alembic still, which is when you think of like the old timey kind of stills, that's what that is, as well as a modern stainless steel still. Then the other methods that I use are tincturing, which is with uh, alcohol. And then the other one is maceration, which is where you put plants into a warm oil or just oil over time to extract the scent. That's really cool. So I have some almond oil. I put some rosemary in some almond oil and I'm trying to make something for my hair uh, because I went through a very stressful period. Uh, my father had a vaccine injury actually. And so my hair started falling out from stress. And so I've read that rosemary is really good for hair regrowth. So I'm trying to put the rosemary into the almond oil and then kind of make an oil out of that. Have you ever used almond oil? Do you like using that? Yeah. So that would be an example of an expression, I believe. So that's where basically you're squishing the oil out of the almond oil. So it's not an essential oil of almond. So that might be more sustainable because it would use less almonds overall. But mm -hmm. I have heard about rosemary for hair growth and so you're doing a rosemary maceration, technically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're, you're, are you putting the whole plant into the oil, or you're just dropping rosemary essential oil in? Oh no, I'm using the plant. So I, I broke up some of the plant, and then I'm just putting in the oil. So what are some other sustainable harvesting practices that you have? So I'm assuming when you go out, you don't just like take everything. Are you kind of leaving things to regenerate? Tell us more about the sustainability. Definitely. Well, first things first, I like to know a little bit about the area in which I am in. There's a lot of different books that talk about uh, ethical wildcrafting, and they might say, never take more than 10% of a population, or they give a very specific number. But to me, I think a really important part is getting to know that area year after year. So sometimes even if I find like a big patch of St. John's Ward or whatever it might be, I may not harvest from it that year, maybe go back next year to watch the populations. And it also depends what the plant is or how does it how does it grow? If you are cutting it off at a certain point, like a, at the base, is it going to make the roots stronger of this invasive species so that its rhizomes then pop up somewhere else? So yeah, it's about getting to know the plants in that way so you know how best to harvest it and how much you can take. So with invasive species, yes, like I can take a bit more and, and, and consider that 
Uh, it might be helping that environment, but then also, is it a pollinator, right? So like um, if there's a big stand of sweet clover and no other pollinators in the area, then maybe I don't take as much of the flowering sweet clover. Or I come back later in the season and cut it before it goes to seed to use for burn bundles instead of distilling. So I keep a very detailed notebook of where I harvest, what the plants are doing, how big the population was so that I can start to really get to know my area and know the best places to harvest. And also sometimes I just don't harvest at all, <laughs> which is just part of my uh, having a wild crafted business where sometimes if I just feel that a certain population, there's not as much of it, like let's say yarrow, which is abundant, but it's not invasive. Like this year, I just didn't do as much of a yarrow harvest. So I'm just not making one of my products that has a lot of yarrow. And that's just mm -hmm. kind of the way it is. Yeah, I did that with ramps this year. I just thought, you know what, I don't need any. So I just I think I ate like one or two. And that's it. Because usually we'll pick, you know, we'll go through a harvest and you're only supposed to pick 5% of them. So uh, we'll just, you know, make a soup or something and eat them. But yeah, this year, I just felt like I should just leave them alone and and give them a year where I don't pick them, you know, and hopefully they'll be a bit bigger in the next few years because I've done that because we have them on our property. So we're trying to get them, you know, bigger, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And it's so important to listen to that. And especially I worry about that in turning, you know, I, I'm turning plants into a business, trying to make sure that I'm still being respectful and that there's a joy in the harvest that I'm not just doing it because like, Oh, I have to fulfill this wholesale order and I need to collect all this yarrow. Like, no, making sure that I have very firm boundaries and that I don't go past those just to fulfill a, a certain financial need. Like I shift things around mm -hmm. or pay more attention to different plants. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I heard that you mentioned a uh, burn bundle. So what, what's a burn bundle? Yeah, so I make a mugwort and sweet clover burn bundle, which is, uh, they're both invasive species, very like aggressive <laughs> invasive species, but I cut the plant before it goes to seed. So it never has the chance to seed and grow more plants. And the tradition of burning mugwort is more rooted in European traditions. So every culture around the world has a tradition of burning plants for their aromatic smoke. So you could think of like Buddhist monks with sandalwood. Well, the three wise men brought frankincense and myrrh, right? So it's been a big tradition for, for thousands of years, right? Yeah, definitely. And so mugwort is, uh, it comes over from Europe, uh, but it burns really beautifully. And it's actually called the dream weed because a lot of people will burn mugwort as part of their evening routine and going to bed because it is said to help with lucid dreaming. Um, that's interesting. I've heard that with yarrow too. So I heard the ancient Celts used to put it over their eyes when they'd go to bed and then that would, that would uh, bring on some dreams, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really enjoying learning more about ancient Celtic traditions, uh, Druid traditions. So looking more into that, uh, European, like pre-Christianity connection to nature, because that's where my ancestry is. 
That's mine too. So yeah, we are we have Celtic heritage as well. For some reason, people just like to stamp out medicinal plant knowledge. And this has been happening for thousands of years. So with our Celtic culture, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church came in and tried to get rid of ancient plant medicine knowledge, which is so strange to me. Like, I don't even understand it. Maybe one day I will. Um, but it's just been this thing that, you know, certain cultures have tried to erase from other cultures over and over again, um, which is too bad because most, I think all of our medicine comes from plants. Like if you look at, you know, aspirin, it, it it's made synthetically, but from a plant. So a lot of our modern day medicine comes from different components in plants. So there is a, a relationship that plants and humans have that can keep each other healthy. And I think our our contribution to plants is to help spread their seeds because that's what humans do. And then plants kind of help us. So it's like this nice relationship that uh, that we can have. And it seems like you definitely have that. You definitely have like a really good relationship with with plants. So that's nice. To touch on what you were saying about our human history with plants, we're only here because of plants and because of the knowledge of our ancestors. Yeah, they're really a wonderful thing. And there there is a lot of medicine in them. Of course, I'm grateful for modern day medicine that we can, you know, you can have surgeries and, and they can remove things and all these like modern things, right? But um, I think just to generally keep healthy so that you don't end up in the hospital having to go through these major surgeries or whatever, um, I think the plants do help. And, and that's just in terms of eating healthy and and making sure that if something comes on, um, so if we get any sort of like cough or sniffle, uh, we'll just make some lamb's ear tea, some mullion, and and that seems to help quite a bit. So there's all these things that you can do, I think, to just live healthy and prevent things from getting worse to the point where you you do actually get sick, right? And then of course you can just get sick anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing can can happen no matter what, right? If people that are listening right now are interested in maybe capturing some sense for themselves, do you have any advice about what they could do from home uh, in this season? So it's fall, we're coming on winter now. Um, anything that they could look for, perhaps? You can do a very simple at-home maceration, just the same way that you were, where you use any kind of an oil that doesn't have a strong scent. Uh, so that can even be refined uh, olive oil works well, sweet almond oil, jojoba, and then just infuse that plant material. You can cut it up and put it into a sterilized mason jar and then put a piece of cheesecloth over top. Make sure you label. <laughs> Sometimes I forget to label exactly when I put whatever plant material is into the what a specific type of oil. And leave it for about three to four months in a dark area and let it just uh, infuse its scent into that oil. And then you can use that as an after the shower oil or um, a massage oil, really just any way that you want to experience that scent. Uh, that is a really beautiful, simple at home herbal remedy care thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And of course, the evergreens going into winter, they'll still be evergreen. So that's a good, a good suggestion as we go into, uh, into Christmas time. And speaking of Christmas, um, I know that this is a, probably way too early for some people to think about it, but I think about it early. Um, so do you have products that would be good for gifts? 
Definitely, I'd say so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really into the idea of nature therapy and sort of like we were saying in terms of that connecting to nature, like I'm very aware that not everybody is able to live in the woods as I have. And it's just not as feasible the way that our modern society is set up. There's a lot of people who are in cities doing good work and whatnot. And so that's part of my mission is to bring that nature therapy to people, even when they can't be in nature itself. So for example, my cedar forest spray, if you're able to spray that cedar forest, even when you're super stressed in your, in your fancy office and just take a moment and imagine that you are in that cedar forest, that is something that is going to instantly drop your blood pressure, calm you down. And it's a little bit of a mind trick power of suggestion thing, but it works. I mean, aromatherapy does work because it makes us feel certain things, connect to certain places or connect to certain memories. Um, So yeah, that's a really big part of my mission with North Shore is making that nature experience very accessible, even if it is through just a thing like a product. So cedar forest spray or my forest bath salt and soak. I have a wildflower salt and soak that is only made with invasive species. Um, Nice. I try to stay away from really, really busy roads, but my favorite areas are abandoned farmlands or some of those human disturbed areas can be where you get the most abundance of different types of plants. Totally. And I mentioned this once before. So my dad has a meadow and he actually like takes care of it and keeps it a meadow. And if he didn't, the poplars, like you can see the little poplar seedlings growing there, like they would take it over and it would return to forest. And it's really a small meadow. But it's filled with butterflies. We've got monarchs and swallowtails and whatever those little yellow ones are. Like it's, it's, we still have butterflies now and it's October. Um, so we have raspberries that are growing there. We have red clover. Um, what else do we have? It's full of bees, like the big rumbly bumblebees and little bees and medium sized ones. Um, it's such a healthy, cool little pocket of a diverse landscape. And so, what I learned in the Amazon from from people that you know are, are that live down there that humans are a really good part of nature and they can actually enhance nature. So you know, in the environmental community, we get caught up so much that humans are bad and humans do bad things and they ruin everything. You know, and sure, they do ruin some things and make things really terrible. Like we see a lot of devastation, like, oh my gosh, the palm forests that are being destroyed for, for palm oil and stuff like that's pretty sad and terrible. Right. So yes, that's true, but not always. Like there are some circumstances where humans can really work with nature and even make it better. Um, in, in terms of like what my dad's done with this meadow, right. We have a lot of forests, like his 50 acres is mostly forest. And then he's got this little, this little meadow and the things that live there wouldn't be able to, if it wasn't there, right? Um, so that's kind of a nice, like, positive way of thinking about all of this stuff. And I think, I think this stuff is really good for mental health as well. So if you're going out and trying to make your own scent, uh, it it can be a very ther- therapeutic process. And I'm so worried about the mental health of Canadians right now because of all the crap that we're going through. And if you can get outside for anything, this is a great excuse, right? So you can just Google what sweet clover and mugwort look like, and go and try to find your own, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not, even if it's not about harvesting, it's just about getting to know what is around you. You don't always have to take because sometimes living in reciprocity just means doing nothing. Like you were saying, like not harvesting the leeks, but until you really feel as though you can and that they're giving that permission. <laughs> yeah, that that's cool. You can, yeah, if you can kind of feel when the time is right or whatever. I think that's that comes later maybe, but <laughs> but it's yeah, it's such a nice thing to be out there. Um so what is your favorite thing? Do you have a, an ultimate favorite thing to make? Ooh. Um well, I love the process of distilling. I find that just so magical and how it fills the whole area with scent. In terms of like that process, I'd say distilling anything, cedar, balsam fir, sweet clover. But in terms of making the product, like sitting in the cabin and making it, I'd say the heart of gold shimmering poplar perfume because it's just so visually stunning. So what that is, is... um, the oil from the, sorry, the resin from the poplar buds before they leaf out in the spring. I infuse that into oil. And then once that's ready after about, well, sometimes I even leave it for six months or um, after many months of infusing, I use that as the base and add golden mica to create a shimmering body perfume. And I just, it's so beautiful. (laughs) That's so cool. Is there a way of getting the scent out of the poplar buds without the distillation equipment like could you just like boil it into something or is there yeah so that's that's one of the ones that actually uses maceration so if you were to boil the poplar buds probably wouldn't get a good result because that's just not how that plant expresses its scent or gives off its scent so for poplar buds which if you're interested is something that you can do uh it's like usually around March. It's the, one of the first things that I can forage for. I use organic jojoba oil. Nice. Yeah, I have some of that. I heard it was really good for your skin. But then I heard all almond oil is good too. So I don't know. I'm just kind of getting into the scent kind of thing. And it's it's a very cool world. And it can be very therapeutic, I think. Um, so if listeners would like to follow you, find out more, buy your stuff, uh, how do they find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at North Shore underscore apothecary. And then my website is northshoreapothecary.ca. And listeners to this podcast can use the discount code WILDCRAFT10. And WILDCRAFT is all capitalized uh, to get 10% off. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Thank you very much for that WILDCRAFT for the the discount. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think I think that I met you one time in Toronto about four, four years ago or so. I believe you had set up at a zero waste festival and I bought a little container of some lip stuff. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, it was you got like the, a- the cocoa and wintergreen lip butter. Yes, I knew it was something like chocolate. Yeah, because it's like a brown color and it's super good. And I love the metal container that you use for that because it, it's definitely reusable. And I've had it like for years and it's durable. It's just like wonderful. And it's a slide. And so you can slide it open and like get the lip stuff out of one side. And then when you kind of get all of that out, you can just switch the lid around and then 
get it out of the other side. You know what I mean? It's it's great. I love it. It's my favorite, like, instead of chapstick or any of that stuff that comes in plastic, I love that little metal sliding container. And it's so small and easy to bring around. It's great. Yeah, I'm always looking for different ways to bring more sustainable packaging. It gets really difficult when it comes to the spray bottles, even though I have the glass containers. There just really isn't for a small business, if I was to invest in a sustainable option for a spray, it would be an atomizer, which can be like $40 <laughs> system. Wow. Uh, so that's just one of the things that is cost prohibitive. But this is actually exciting news that I haven't told anybody really yet. But I am shifting my business to focus more on being a supplier of raw botanicals and uh, raw materials to other skincare companies. Yeah. So, nice. yeah. So looking at servicing more refilleries and other businesses that might be able to afford buying some of those sustainable zero waste packaging methods. So that's something that I'm, I'm working towards so that I can just make the hydrosols and give them to other businesses, or you can go to a refillery and keep refilling a bottle. Yeah, that that would be fantastic. Well, this has been great. So thank you very much for telling us all about your company and your lifestyle, really. It sounds like a total lifestyle, not just, you know, not just a business, but a whole kind of way of living and approach to looking at our place in the world and our place in the world with plants. So thank you very much, Lou. No problem. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And Thank you so much for your time and for making this happen. Awesome. That was Lou Corbett. She is the mastermind behind North Shore Apothecary. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.